0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Super Tea Podcast Show. Um, you're going to hear things in the background. However, I am at the top of my cup, overflowing with emotions right now. I reluctantly attended a conference today. The only reluctancy was because the conference was geared around pregnancy and pregnancy has been a topic that has been randomly coming to me throughout this year and it's something that I really wasn't I guess open to accept the possibility of and the joy of because my previous ones Although I was happy to have a life growing inside of me and I was very diligent with my prenatal care with both of my pregnancies that I carried to full term, um, there's still some healing uh, in regards to my daughter who passed at the age of six due to diabetes that was undiagnosed. and after that traumatic event there has been a lot of challenges in regards to raising my son as a single mother and battling systematic racism in this country there's no other way for me to put it right um now he's 24 and i have grown tremendously healed tremendously but there are still some parts that need to be healed and so i just turned 40 which i'm sure if you're a regular listener you know that already but i just turned 40 um two months ago Where oh, yeah we're december may about seven months ago so i'm a newbie i'm a newbie and but my body is still very fertile <laughs> It reminds me every month how fertile it is, <laughs> and um, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna do this again, right? So I'm listening to all these wonderful people. Um, I don't even. I'm just looking at the program now that I've. I'm coming to my space that I'm sharing temporarily i um, soon to be in my own space. So I'm grateful about that. This window I have to close, so I'm just cold. I air on me. Anyway, um, that was a little sidebar. Um, so I networked. Networked. i gave my information out to a few people told them about my podcast connected first name basis they like hey takara hey takara hey takara i'm like okay all right all right all right <laughs> just being me just being myself because i didn't know what to expect and i didn't know like i didn't know i was gonna meet the first lady of the state and have her right hand contact information you know but, as I told her, I'm here to be part of the solution, you know. And, um, so, I listened to the people that got up and spoke. few people really stuck out to me. Other people I had spoke to before they even got on the panel didn't even realize they were a part of the panel until they were on the stage. And I was like, well, well what could you? I know I'm talking to a superstar. No. But, there's this one lady. and each each sister phenomenal but this one lady who pulls on my heart um and maybe it's because she experienced two losses two losses maybe maybe that's why she pulls on my heart so much but um I want to read her bio her name is Vu Ann Foster. Um, she studied at William Patterson University and she studied at Montclair State University. Um, so she has a very harrowing story. And I'm going to go into it since it is something that she has publicly um shared um, she has a organization a nonprofit organization called life after two losses it's a nonprofit organization preventing reproductive and health injustices through support and empowerment of women and families in the community i have to work with her so when her first pregnancy she says a water broke early, the hospital sent her home without appropriate care. That would have increased the chances of saving her baby and preventing her from experiencing sepsis, which threatened her life. The attending doctor delayed administering life-saving care for her so they could administer a HIV test that was only ordered because of her of his rather racial bias septic shock posed difficulty in drawing her blood yet he made well over 20 attempts unsuccessful attempts to obtain a blood sample afterwards she was sent to another ward to give birth without qualified doctors since it was already determined that her baby would die regardless her next pregnancy She started leaking amniotic fluid way too early. The hospital staff dismissed her concerns and sent her home without preventive care, only for her water to break in the hospital parking lot. They admitted her immediately afterwards. However, some attending nurses were reluctant to care for her while at bed rest. I need to know these hospitals she was at. I just need to know. They're the ones I intend to avoid says that she had to be induced a day sooner than the neonatal intensive care unit would be able to care for her baby. As a result, the hospital let her baby die in her arms. So, I have no idea. I have no idea. Um what she could have possibly experienced as a mother um, I do know with my own daughter although she was born seemingly healthy um, she went undiagnosed with diabetes for her time here her short time here on the earth although she had regular visits at the doctors she was up to date on shots I was you know, into the vaccination thing at the time And at that time, and, um, I remember what it feels like to hold her in my arms after she passed, um, she passed right next to me. Um, and I remember getting up, her being unresponsive, me calling out for my son. My son rushing. I'm like, "Where's the phone? Call. Let's call 911." He finds the phone for me because I was just in shock, and we call 911. They come, and I remember very candidly that the house was a mess. I remember that the house was a mess because they had both graduated that week. Her, my daughter, from elementary school—not elementary school. Lord have mercy, my son from elementary school, my daughter from kindergarten. I was just getting away from my abusive husband um, a few months before that, um, and I just threw myself into service. I joined the PTA. I started volunteering in the community that I was in. This is in Brooklyn. I did not get my time myself time to heal at that time and um they had both went to the pediatrician that week as well and got cleared medically for camp so to wake up and find my daughter unresponsive next to me sent me into shock so the house was a mess the house was a mess i was doing all of that i was doing all of that by myself and i just didn't get to that part at that moment um i was worrying about graduation clothes graduation celebrations um the pediatrician making sure they were good for camp set up for camp like i had other things on my mind and if you are a parent and you have small children toys are thrown all over the freaking place if you're you know it's just just what it was and I remember it candidly this way because when the EMT came into the apartment they looked around before they looked at my baby and then they came to my baby and they had determined before they even tried to revive her that she was gone and I remember when I initially picked her up when I saw that she was unresponsive I when I called 911 they told me to put her on the ground and they gave me instructions of how to perform CPR on her and I followed their instructions and she was still warm she was still warm she still felt like herself however once the EMT came and they put their um contraptions on her. Um she was no longer warm and it was very it was it was you can tell. You could tell when somebody is trying their best to do something and you can tell when someone is not. You can tell when they're just doing it, just doing a procedural thing, but not really going all the way in, like, okay, we gotta save this baby, you know. Um they had already when they saw her they first of all they they just judged they just judged the situation without having any type of knowledge of me as a person they just looked this all oh this messy house oh this must be a neglectful mother that's that's the type of attitude that they had and oh, that yep this is the project so yep she must be this she must be that which I was none of the things that they thought that I was but there their preconceptions and this was not even a racist preconception because these were people, EMT workers of my ethnicity but um, nonetheless their preconceptions um, got in the way of them saving my baby's life and I remember them stepping away and they're like shaking their head I could see the looks between them like yeah no she's gone and I remember just picking her up one last time, and when I picked her up the last time, um, she was she was she was gone. She was hard. Um, she wasn't soft <sighs> or warm anymore. And all I could think of was I have to be very strong. Because I have to Protect my son And so I went instantly I I stuffed everything Very deep And I went into protective mode And In protective mode I was asked to step outside and I was told we're gonna bring her to the hospital and we stepped outside both me and my son and they walked us um and they were like we're gonna need you to come down to the precinct because we're gonna need to ask you some questions and they walked us out um like it was weird like, going back, it was almost like, it was weird, it was the weirdest thing ever, because they literally just walked us, so just just imagine walking out of your apartment, but you have an officer with you, and the officer, you're not handcuffed, you know, they didn't arrest me, um, they just literally walked me to, um, a car, and drove us to the precinct, and then, Put us in rooms and asked us questions, and um, then they just was like, "Okay, well, um, our protocol is that when there's a fatality of a child, and there's a, another child in the household, that we put the surviving child, their words, into protective care while." um there's an investigation this is what they told me that was their protocol so it was like do you have a family member that he can go to while they're looking into things um because we're gonna need to do an autopsy we didn't know that she why she passed away at that time it took um six weeks for the autopsy report to come back and um This is what they told me the process was going to be. So initially I told them of um, one of the young ladies that I had gravitated to and forced to care. And when we, call each, we called each other sisters and she lived in the projects not too far. We were in Marcy. She lived in Sumter. And I mentioned her and they said, well, they looked her name up. We can't use her because she has a ACS case. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I gave them the name of a friend of mine, named Curtis. And it was like, we tried to call him, he didn't pick up. And I couldn't think of anybody else. My mom wasn't living, even though she didn't raise me anyway, but she wasn't living. Um, and the next person I could think of was a uh, strange aunt. So I gave them her name, and they called her, and she was available again estranged because she wasn't in my life growing up and I didn't know that she had mental conditions I just was naming people that I could think of where my son could be safe at and she was the next person that came to mind so long story short they brought him over there they told me to come to 185 Marcy um, which is the headquarters for ACS for a meeting the very next day Um, and I will be able to see him and I just I just did everything that they instructed me to do and I left out of there it was a very gray like that was the gray scale like if you see on your phone you know you could change the um I don't even know what they call them (laughs) right now I can't even think of the word but you know what I'm talking about the filters Change the filter on your phone, sepia, um, just to think of ones off the top of my head. Um, I don't know the name of them, but grayscale is one of them where everything's just gray. And that is literally how I saw color. That's how, exactly how I saw life. That was my, the state of consciousness of how deep I went. And I'm going to explain in this episode how I came out of that. It was only the graces. It was only God that brought me out of that. But it was very detailed how it happened. So anyway, um, I go to 185 Marcy for this meeting. And again, I was prejudged because I was a forced child. I don't even think these workers took the time to actually read my um, involvement with the agency. They just put my name in my social and saw that I had involvement in the agency. They didn't read the fact that I was a foster child. They didn't read the fact that the last involvement I had was when I was a foster child in the agency. And that I had no type of um, cases afterwards in regards to my name. They just was like, oh, we know you. Which they didn't know me. Um, we see her name in the system. and Until we get the autopsy report. We're just going to keep him with the aunt. The aunt who I found out. God rest her soul. But she was very um, unhealed. At the time that she was caring for my son. So she locked him in the bedroom. During the daytime. She had a lot of different mental. Um, conditions. Um, that prevented her from properly. Caring for him. And hence. I. Um, being abusive and neglectful towards him. Um, It took a lot of advocacy on my part to get him removed from that home, which did not make things better because when he went into homes that were not of relatives, um, he was subsequently physically abused, um, sexually abused, and I fought for him eight months Um, Not because it took that long, because it only took six weeks, but because in my my trauma and my hurt and my grief um, that I had tucked down so far, I began to be combative and not combative in a way that people were used to i wasn't screaming i wasn't using profanity i was (coughs) excuse me stepping into their arenas their pseudo courts and quoting law and stating that they didn't have jurisdiction to do what they were doing and although i was stating facts and although it's a very good possibility that there is remedies to be obtained on behalf of my son, Who took the blunt of the abuse and the neglect and the systematic racism. Um, they just kept them. They just kept them. They just kept them until they couldn't keep them. It was unfounded they tried everything they even tried educational neglect to use as a justification which went out the window couldn't say medical neglect because they were both at the pediatrician the very week that she passed away um so they had nothing substantial outside the fact of me quote unquote not being cooperative because they were suggesting parenting classes and I was like why are you suggesting parenting classes when I have done nothing to show that I am a bad parent. I'm doing everything as a good parent. What are you talking about? Okay, I was in an abusive relationship. Maybe that you could have used as justification of me being a bad parent, but you can't no longer use that because I got away from my abuser. So what's going on? And again, I'm quoting law. You don't have any jurisdiction. We're indigenous people. We're natural people. We're not corporate entities. That's the type of language I'm speaking to them because this is the type of knowledge that I am acquiring in the midst of this so it wasn't until after eight months of going back and forth with them I realized they don't give a shit that I'm telling the fucking truth they don't give a shit about the fucking law They have him and they're going to keep him until I fucking quote unquote cooperate. And when I came into that realization, it was just so amazing how quickly things unfolded. I never did a class, but I ended up meeting someone who administrated the classes. And when I explained to them what was going on, they just handed me a certificate to bring to them. Once I gave them the certificate, they just threw him back at me. Damaged. It was up to me to fix him. And I had no clue how damaged he was. I didn't even become aware of the sexual abuse until he was already a teenager. And this happened when he was only 10. 11. I didn't become aware until he was already a teenager. He did not share it with me right away. And when he shared it with me, he was now they were trying to coin him as a juvenile delinquent instead of a child that was traumatized, a child that was ripped from his home, a child that was abused. Uh, I, uh, they didn't see him as that. They just saw him as a brown child, and he must be trying to be a drug dealer. And we we're gonna throw him into the jail system, juvenile delinquent system. And I fought again. I fought. And I fought. They had him again for, they tried to keep him for a couple of years. But I fought. A little bit smarter this time. But they finally released him. It was another eight months. I kept fighting for my son. I kept, and I kept fighting, 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 and the fights got very, af- after the system had was like, okay, she's not gonna stop, but we feel we've damaged them enough, and of course, I don't think that this was really an actual thought process, but it seemed to be the results that they kinda, like, left us alone, um, after the juvenile experience, because he would go. He would take off. And they wouldn't know where the hell he was at. He was absolutely non-compliant. The only issue is when he took off, there were predators in the streets waiting to welcome him with open arms. And so he fell into different lifestyles and substance abuse and He was even a missing person for a year, but I didn't give up, and I won't give up, and he's an amazing young man, and he has some work to do on himself, and he's doing it, and I'm here for the encouragement, and to witness it, and to push him forward in witnessing his growth, um, but after the juvenile delinquency, um... Issues that got dropped Um The substance abuse battle Was very tedious Um I lost count how many times He's been in and out the hospital How many phone calls I've gotten How many cabs How many jobs I've lost because I've Just dropped everything To tend to him I just recently Last this year, not the last year, this year, 2023, ended up losing a very good position that I really liked because he got his jaw broke and called me and I tried to reach out for support to people that were quote unquote family members and just wasn't there. So I begin to take extra care of myself and we have gotten past that. We were just together today at this event together. And I know I started off talking about Vuan Foster, but I guess this is why I feel the um I feel the connection with her. And I'm going to connect with the sister because um, I think that is important for my healing process. Because I recognize that there are still parts I need to heal, um, but I'm in a safe space now, and my son is also in a safe space now. And I wanna, I wanna just go to the beginning of this, of this, um, of this pamphlet. Because there ain't no joke here. This space and place is a space and place for my family. And they ain't no joke. There ain't no joke. Ain't no joke. So. The name of the conference I went to was called the Cradle Project Conference. Um, it was a groundbreaking inaugural so i guess it was the first one huh groundbreaking means the first one and um it says the word cradle has two definitions infant bed and to hold gently and protectively to prop up bolster support to shelter it says this conference has two purposes to establish a foundational, lifelong love of literature from as early as when our children are in the cradle. And just as importantly, this conference is intended to protectively support and gently shelter women from the harm of our current maternal health crisis. Both issues are a priority here in Newark. So... Again, um, what I have noticed is that just just reading the sisters' bio, back to Vu, back to Miss Vu and Foster. Just reading her bio, right? Let's let's get to the good part, right? <sighs> she lost two babies, two, two, two. <laughs> Years later, she was grateful to finally give birth to a healthy son. Shortly after giving birth, she expressed that she was experiencing abnormal symptoms, but she was repeatedly dismissed by biased health workers. Thanks to her health literacy, And self-advocacy skills. She managed to demand care for what was later diagnosed as severe postpartum preeclampsia which can be fatal. Vu Ann recognized the limits of the current grief and loss support provided in New Jersey. She designed programming based on participants expressed needs. Life After Two Losses provides free asset-based support groups that gives black, indigenous, and people of color, women and birthing people, a safe, caring peer community where they empower themselves and each other's as leaders, stabilizing themselves and their families. Life After Two Losses is currently piloting our new health literacy and self-advocacy programming which tackles disparities in perinatal health knowledge caused by the systematic racism but also informs people of the common specific health issues that impact Black, Indigenous, people of color, mothers and how it combines with sexism and classisms in perinatal health settings. Voen also serves as vice chair of EW Jersey Maternal Care Quality Collaborative and is certified in preconception, peer education, mental health first aid, and nonprofit management. She's the lead author of Reimagining Perinatal, Perinatal Mental Health and Expansion Vision for Structural Change, published in Health Affairs. She has appeared in documentary episodes by NJPBS and Scientific American. Whoa. Just whoa. Just whoa. Just whoa. Just a whole bunch of phenomenal people. Um, yes, there is definitely some, some work that I need to do on me. Which I got the whole... Message, sit still, finish healing, keep on focusing because the better here's the thing, the better I am, the better I get, the better my son is, the better he gets, you know, and so that's that's the reality you know it's this is our life, this is our story, this is my narrative, and yeah, we've had some of our own harrowing experiences, but we have gotten through them, and as I just expressed to him earlier it is now time to heal and thrive so that is the page that we are on and as I have jokingly said um, during other episodes my revolution is being televised so with that being said um, this is this is this is this is a part of me that I'm sharing and um, I'm glad to be in a better space and safer spaces with people and I'm, it's unfortunate that people have had similar situations because losing a child is not a situation that I would wish on anyone, it's a very difficult situation but I'm pretty sure she had a strong community around her and um, I have not had that Yet. I've just started to create Ooh. that um, and um I should say I do have that now uh, but I didn't have that then um I just been straight fighting I've been in straight worry mode and like literally this this recent accident I had I felt was like God's way of saying if you don't sit your butt down <laughs> if you don't sit down I'm gonna sit your ass down sit on down cause I was fighting then when I had this, this recent car accident I was in well not car I keep saying car it wasn't a car I was on ton something that weighed tons and it was hit by something that weighed tons and when those two tons collided it took my my buns to the ground very hard and my face to the daggone um, pole but um, the, the metal pole that was on one of the tons of one of the vehicles so yeah it was a motor vehicle accident let's call it for what it is um, I was on my way to court I was on my way to federal court to put in a brief for me to, um, fight legally for my home at that time. And it just so happened, you know, that I'm very serious about my spirituality and, um, as I was given revelations in regards to, the issues that's happening in the Middle East right now, I was like, hold up, wait a minute, that can be applicable to me. Why would I allow myself to be targeted where I could remove myself from that equation and therefore not be in range? Which is what I feel would be the best solution for the Palestinians. Let's provide them a safe passage. Let's get them the fuck out of there. And those motherfuckers that want that shit, give them that bullshit. And that's it. I know some people might be like, no, don't fool. Fuck that shit. It's bigger shit. It's, it's, It's a whole world. It's a whole planet. There's more space. There's space for them elsewhere. They can live happily, they can practice their culture, practice their religion without oppression, without abuse, without worrying about bombs dropping over them. This whole land is ours. That one particular spot is not more precious than other thriving spots. I mean, it's been tainted such now that whatever holiness it had, it don't have it no more. Whatever significance it had, it has been... Tainted with the bloodshed, so their best recourse is to save passage, the fuck out of there, and we can help them as far as humanity heal and grow elsewhere. And I recognize that revelation was not just applicable to them; that revelation was applicable to me. I removed my own ass out of the fucking um, area that that home of minds and get somewhere safe and fucking rebuild and I am safe we are safe we are safe and we are cradled we are protected we are known Takara which is my mother the name my mother gave me is safe and so is Jovan we are safe we are covered we are in people's prayers we have a whole community that is cradling us as we heal and as we thrive and as we serve give back because I know I have a skill set to serve and I know my son has skill sets to serve so we here And I'm fertile enough to to start anew <laughs> and give them some well I don't know some at least one brother sister well, mama gotta take care of herself first get all get all fixed on up <sighs> physically and continue the emotional the healing process but this is my safe space so I'm gonna reach out um because I'm looking to you know March, be on that conference, do some motivational speaking. I should actually have my coaching um, certification by that time. I am embarking on the Napoleon Hill um, coaching through the Napoleon Hill Institute. So, yeah, big, big shit is happening. Big, huge shit is happening, and I'm excited about it all. And, um, I'm grateful I'm grateful for my for my community for my village, for my extended friends and family and colleagues. Thank you. thank you all and um, I'm continuing to go forward and um, so click the links you know you know what it is you know that I am literally recording my episodes with my mobile device and typically, there's not a whole lot of background, but um I'm temporarily in shared space. That is, as you can hear, smack dab dab in the hood. <laughs> so That's a fire thing. It's a constant thing, but it's a temporary thing. But it's a real thing, you know. So it is what it is. I'm glad to be here glad to be part of the solution and looking forward to all the wonderfulness unfolding so until next time, <laughs> thank you for tuning in to the Super T Podcast show. Whoever is interested in doing an interview, you can contact me directly via email, which is B-E-Y-T-A-K-A-R-A-3-3 at gmail.com. I will put it in the descriptions as well and make sure you click on the links and I will be back. <laughs> thank you.